All right, I'm just going to run through the rest of the undercard fights from this uh, Egg versus Cheese show on the weekend. So it kicked off with Dalton Smith, and he managed to knock out Nathan Bennett in the fifth round. Now, what struck me straight away, and this was the first time I think I'd seen either of these two, first time I can remember seeing either of these two anyway, and what struck me is how similar their styles were. Like Dalton Smith and Nathan Bennett were almost a mirror image of each other for most of the fight. Dalton Smith was the sharper of the two, but just stylistically, the way they shaped up their their stances, even their builds, it was all very, very similar. But Smith was the sharper. He had the better boxing brain. And as the rounds progressed, he started to show his superiority. Very, very relaxed, Dalton Smith. He's got a nice style, very relaxed, can fight coming forward, can fight going backwards, picks his shots very well, he's got good eyes. So, yeah, I was quite impressed with what I saw from him. He's currently uh, 6-0 with five KOs. Nathan Bennett, more fights, but he ended up getting clocked with a tremendous right hand. The knockout really came from nowhere, <laughs> you know. I was just fixing myself something to eat, a turn round, and then bang! Poor Nathan Bennett was on the canvas, and that's all she wrote. So a real good one-punch knockout by uh, Dalton Smith. So, yeah, I, I liked the fight. I liked the performance. It was good boxing. Then we had Jordan Gill, and he beat Reese Bellotti over 10 rounds. Wasn't the most enthralling fight I've ever seen. You know, he calls himself the thrill, uh, Jordan Gill. <laughs> it rhymes with his name. But I can't say it was the most, and he looks quite a lot different to this now. He's got like a funny style afro and <laughs> all kinds of things going on Jordan Gill right now. So yeah, it wasn't the most uh, enthralling fight I've seen, but you know, it was all right. It was a relatively, do I want to say competitive? I mean, Bellotti came to try and win, but he didn't make it particularly close. You know, it was what it was. It, it wasn't, let's just say it wasn't like a total one-sided beatdown. That's what I can say about the fight. I've covered the Wardley fight in a separate video. So I'll move on to the James Tennyson, Gavin Gwynn fight. You know, Tennyson, he's been around a long time now. You know, can punch a bit, moving up in weight. It wasn't a particularly entertaining fight, as far as I'm concerned, because of the fact that Gavin Gwynn just had no power at all in his punches. He was tough, he was trying hard. But there was only one guy in there that could really crack an egg, and that was Tennyson. So there was, yeah, th th there was moments when Gwyn's work rate and stuff like that, you thought maybe if he can land some body shots, he might be able to hurt Tennyson to the body or, you know, overwhelm him in the second half of the fight. But for the most part, it felt like there was an air of inevitability about the way this fight was going. Because as I say, he's only one guy that actually had any power here, and that was Tennyson. And obviously he managed to get the job done with a TKO in the sixth round. So yeah, that's the best of the rest or the complete rest of the undercard. What am I looking at here? Okay, this is the uh, the PBC show. I haven't actually seen this show yet. So I'm going to try and track down these fights and watch them if I can. And then I'll do a review of that card as well. But as far as the Eddie Hearn card, the Matchroom Fight Camp, Episode one, if you will. It was a decent card. 
the main event especially, I really, really enjoyed. You know, it's always good when the main event turns out to be the best fight on the card. You know, because you can have a great undercard, but if you get to the main event and it's anticlimactic, then you just leave the event with an anticlimactic feeling. You know, even though there were great fights on the undercard, when the main event doesn't deliver, you're like, eh, if only the main, main event had delivered the way the undercard did. Yeah. But with this particular card, the undercard was, you know, it was cool. The Dalton Smith fight was a, a good fight. You know, James Tennyson did his thing. Fabio Wardley had a nice stoppage, but the main event was real good. The cheese versus the egg, egg versus cheese, real good. As I say, I've covered that in a separate video. Now, in terms of the presentation, I did a poll on my YouTube channel about the presentation of this uh, show with the pyrotechnic display and Eddie Hearn's mansion in the background and all the lights and what have you, the views of London in the background, the drone camera <laughs> that was flying around and whatnot. Yeah, you could tell they spent a lot of money and a lot more money on the production than any of the other promoters doing boxing shows at the moment have done. 100%. <laughs> the production value was high for Matchroom Fight Camp. No question about it. Now, Eddie Hearn said that they wouldn't add crowd noise, but they did add crowd noise. They didn't have like cheering, screaming crowds, but they had like a, just a, a, a minimalist ambient hum, like chattering voices. That's what they had on the soundtrack, at least, you know, from the stream I was watching. <laughs> yeah, I watched it on the stream. Uh, they had like chattering voices. I would have preferred it personally if they didn't have any crowd noise at all. Maybe some other people disagreed. Maybe they liked the, the chattering voices in the background on the, on the, uh, the Sky Sports broadcast. What else was there to talk about with regards to the, the production? Yeah, there was the, there was the crowd noise I would have preferred without. Uh, the pyrotechnics, I talked about that. Uh, the lights and all that kind of business. The drone. There was something else I was thinking to talk about just a second ago, but it's gone from my mind. Um, oh yeah, the music. So when they're introducing the fighters, when, when they're in the ring, they've got this like music that, starts up to kind of build in a, into a crescendo for when they when they call the fighter's name. I didn't like that music. Uh, you know, maybe if they'd chosen better music, I would have liked it better, but it just, it just sounded rubbish. It wasn't good. They need to ditch that music for next time, in my opinion. Yeah, get rid of that silly music where you're building up to a crescendo when you read the fighter's name now. And on top of that, why did they put David Diamante in the corner by the steps. And he wasn't even lit. <laughs> you know, like David, everybody else was like lit really nicely. They had Johnny Nelson and Anna Woolhouse in this little enclosure and they were on seats and it all looked very polished and nicely lit, you know, nice lighting and all that kind of stuff. But uh, Diamante, the MC, he was like over by the steps. He wasn't properly lit. <laughs> the darker it got, I think they stopped even filming him because they didn't, didn't have enough lights on him. He'd literally be in the dark and the guy didn't even have a seat <laughs> or maybe he did. Maybe he walked to a seat in between fights, <laughs> but he was just like stood over there by the steps looking dark and dingy in the corner. 
You know, like if you're going to have an MC, I think you should make a, a, a feature of the MC. Put lights and pyrotechnics around the MC too. Because it, it was just a weird juxtaposition from the lights and the pyrotechnics for, 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 for the fighters. And then this dark and dingy corner with David Diamante. It, it didn't work. So put some light on Diamante next time, uh, Eddie Hearn, Matchroom. Because it just looked odd <laughs> what you guys did with him. Put some light on him. Yeah, he's a, a flamboyant looking character with his dreadlocks and his big beard he's got now, right? So so turn that into something. Make that look spectacular as well. If, uh, you know, spectacular is what you're after. So those are my thoughts on the show overall and the undercard, the other fights in the undercard, which I didn't cover in the previous videos. Let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. Uh, what did you feel about the Matchroom show, the fights, the presentation, etc. It's Hammond Amal. This is Andy Parole for Boxing Social in association with Betfred and I'm delighted to be joined by WBC World Champion Terry Harper over Zoom. Terry, first and foremost, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Very different circumstances this time round to what you're used to. How have you found kind of your first couple of days in the bubble though? Only good, settled in straight away. Um, obviously, we came um, yesterday, got here, just, just gone one, uh, straight in for the test, straight into your room, and that with me for day. Um, similar to what I do at home, uh, just chilling in front of the TV, um, planning my meals for the day, and that's it really. Just I've just enjoyed my own company. Obviously, being stuck in the room as well for, for the last day or so, was there nerves about your test results? Yeah, uh, I don't know why, uh, but I think obviously when you do have a test, you, you get nervous for the results. But um, obviously, because the reason if you, if you test positive, that's it, you're straight home, dreams over. But um, everything's come back clear, thank God. And uh, we're just waiting for Tasha's results, and then uh, we've got a fight. Obviously, just moving on to the fight itself, and obviously, you're back with Tasha. Talking about preparations, Terry, how have you found kind of training over lockdown in particular? Um, I've enjoyed it. So obviously the big old gutted um, when the fight got cancelled uh, about four weeks into camp. Um, but then I told Andrew, I'll not let all that go to waste. And I kind of use this, use training as a way for me to stay in a routine. Um, luckily enough, we just got an house that had a garage, so I kind of set that into my own gym. Um, and yeah, I just stayed busy. Like, like I said, it kept me in a routine and it's put me it put me in a very good position for when um, things started to get lifted and relaxed and we got the fight date to come straight back into the gym and I know it's cliche and everyone says it but I am definitely in the best shape of my life and I've, I've really trained out for this opportunity. Who do you feel there's more pressure going on going into the fight, Terry? Obviously yourself who's seen as kind of a leading light and potential to kind of enhance women's boxing further or Tasha who's coming towards the end of her career now this may well be her only chance to fight for a world title who do you see there being more pressure on? Well I'm in a position that I never fought in a, in a million years that I would be in I came away from the sport obviously at 16 and like I said never thought I'd be here uh, whereas Tash she's come from the elite amateurs she's come from the Olympics she's turned over um, in hopes to become a world champion and here I am I believe Tasha should be the one that's in my position as a champion, but um, for me, I personally believe Tasha's 
Tasha's lost opportunity to prove herself and uh, the pressure's on her. It's got to be. I'm just loving loving every minute and loving every opportunity that I'm getting. Just a couple more quick ones, Terry. Obviously, I imagine you've played the fight out many a times in your own mind, but how do you expect it to go when yourself and Tasha are in the ring on Friday night? Well, I believe I'm going to have a, a few rounds. And with Tash, she's going to be... Uh, She's going to be on really, um, but then I believe uh, my fitness, I've, I've come back and do 10 rounds. Um, I'm just going to break it down, slowly but surely. Obviously, I know that you've got a large fan base and you're going to be gutted that they can't be in attendance on Friday. But how, how do you feel you will cope boxing behind closed doors and without your fans there? Um, I've just got more chance to, it gives me the opportunity to concentrate more. Um, obviously, when, I, when you're walking out, in front of all them people, you kind of have your blinkers on anyway, and you're just focused on the job ahead in, in the ring. Um, and there's one voice I listen to, and that's Andrew. And on Friday night, I'm going to be able to hear his voice a lot more clearly. Terry, appreciate your time. Best of luck with the rest of your preparations. Obviously, quite night. schoolboy up to senior boxing. I won every single every single title of multiple Europeans and world and youth Olympics and I never knew about the youth Olympics and um, when I finally qualified and I won it, it sort of I thought the Olympics was a year away to qualify for, for the twenty twenty games, which obviously is now twenty twenty one. And um I thought I've given myself the right shot because I've literally won every competition that year. And um I was number one youth in the world so I see all these other boys in the other, the other countries getting onto the senior teams and pushing on for the qualifiers. And it was like with GB boxing, um, to sort of holding it off. And, and I knew in my head that by the times I would get let onto the team, then the qualifiers would be within a few weeks. So it wasn't really an opportunity to qualify. And I didn't fancy waiting another five, six years in amateur boxing, especially it's amateur boxing now is like pros for, for three rounds. and got to five fights in, in whatever, seven, eight days. And now you're just getting really, you're having a lot of pro fights before turning professional. And I just think it was the perfect time for me to turn pro, really, and sort of strike by the eye on top why I won the Olympics. What's the transition like when you've been fighting the best in the world in your age category as an amateur, and then you turn pro, and at least in the early stages, you're fighting people that just come to survive or people that can't match up to you ability-wise? I think it's more about... Learning, learn, like learning the program. I think um, I've got a good coach and Dave Caldwell and a good team behind me. And I think I learn probably learn more in the gym for the first year. Like I said, I've been pro a year now. And I probably learned more in the gym and going away sparring. And I actually probably did in fights. It was it was only the like the media stuff and um, the build up to the fight. What what was it getting used to? But as far as like the boxing's concerned, I think I learn more in the gym and and sparring quality fighters. And, and that's how I learned, like, got the transition. And the last one from me, just tell us a bit about some of the people we know that you've sparred and, and who you've maybe learned the most from. Um, I sparred Kid Galahad, Jordan Gill, Lee Wood, Tarka Khan in America, um, and, and a few, a few world, like, top world-level fighters in America. One of them, a lot of Armenian world amateur champions who's turned pro over in Freddie Roach's gym, um, like you say there, you really, you've got the head guards and you're getting inspired. You don't know who you're sparring. You could be sparring a world, <laughs> yeah. a world champion. You, don't, you wouldn't know um, 
like I said, I've, I've learned a lot, especially from sparring Jordan in the gym and seeing him in the gym every day. And I've learned a lot lately from um, Kid Galahad. I've had really good sparring with him and felt like the ball brought me on that extra level. Brilliant. Thanks, Opie. Good luck on Friday. Thanks very much. How you doing? I, I, I just have one question. Um, your third fight and um, two or three fights now are going to be in very unique experiences. The first one, the last fight in Saudi Arabia now, uh, this week is obviously a very unique experience. Talk about, you know, uh, that, you know, fighting the, in these different kind of settings. Um, to me, I'm just there to fight, so I don't really take much by it, but it's good. It's good to be on, obviously, big shows, clearly. The team behind me has got a lot of, lot of like say pushing me to put me on these big shows. They must think something good of me, so I've just got to keep performing and keep doing a job in the ring. That that's what I'm here to do, no matter no matter what show I'm on. But like you say, I feel very privileged to box on such these these big shows, and that's why I'm got to keep putting on the good performances. So I keep getting on these good shows. Thank you. Hey, Hopi, uh, Jonathan Agapif, pro boxing fans. Um, as the gentleman before just mentioned, uh, fighting in Saudi Arabia on Joshua Ruiz undercard, and now you're going to the back garden of uh, Matchroom. What? How much did you learn from that experience in general, just being on such a big platform? A lot, like you said, from the amateur game, you've never done much, much media stuff at all. So, like you say, my first fight and the first press conference was a bit like, oh, I didn't really know what to say. But um, I think I learned a lot. I've done hundreds of interviews in Saudi Arabia and all, all the media obligation, just looking, just being stuck there and watching the other big fighters, Joshua Ruiz and whoever, do them interviews and the way they handle themselves. I think I picked up a lot, and obviously now I know for the future how to handle myself. You've only had uh, two professional fights so far. If anything, what have you learned in in the short time you've been a professional? Um, I've learned a lot, but I think boxing's boxing. I think um, I think you'll have to see when when fights start stepping up and we start getting having more fights I think that that's when you'll see the best of me really I think at the minute I said you just keep seeing little improvements every fight and then when we get let off the leash as Dave says when we let off the leash that's when you see the best of me uh, You've got Johnny Phillips uh, on Friday night have you have you been able to um, see what he's he's about um, what do you know so far about I've, him? I've, um, I've heard a little bit about him but to be honest uh, I don't take much to turn on boxing really I don't, I don't really need to watch them to be able to beat somebody I think you could watch someone a hundred times he could watch me a hundred times it's going to be a different story when we're getting there I think um, whoever watches me anyway you're not you're not going to be able to just say that that's what it's going to be because I can bring someone new to the table every time I step in the ring so that's how I'm just going to perform Saturday night and uh, last one obviously you saw your stablemate Jordan Gill uh, beat Reese Bellotti on yeah. Saturday, um, so it's the chance for a bit of a Dave Cole double header on Friday night. Definitely, it's definitely going to be a double header. Two good wins and two good performances. You'll see Jordan last week, and it's my time to shine this weekend. Cheers, best of luck. Hope you just want to come back in with one because responding to something you said, you talked about how you learned from the likes of Joshua and Ruiz and how they handled themselves outside the ring. Just tell us what impressed you the most, particularly about AJ and how he handles his media obligations and all that, because he has so much attention on him. He's just um, so relaxed. I think I think that's the main thing. He, he don't let none of it, none of it get to him really. I think I think uh, out there he had a lot of pressure on him in that fight. Uh, nearly every question asked was about him losing his last fight, so he had to deal with that mentally to to keep himself mentally to not think about him losing for to keep his mind on the job on what he had to do and. Like you say, he's done a hell of a job 
when he did box because he, he won the fight very easy. So. so a good role model then? He's definitely a good role model for, for boxing and, and for sport, yeah. Cheers. Ted Cheeseman defeats Sam Eggington on a 12-round unanimous decision. This was the main event for Matchroom Fight Camp Episode 1. And it was a good main event. In fact, it turned out to be a better fight than I expected. I thought, personally, that Cheeseman would be more dominant than this. I do think he did enough, just enough, to deserve the decision. But I wouldn't have grumbled if it had gone to Sam Egerton, truth be told. Because Egerton's boxing, particularly in the second half of the fight, was really nice. He was landing some nice jabs, some nice shots. And as you saw after the fight, Ted Cheeseman actually looked more busted up than Sam Egerton. Now, obviously, some people bruise and cut more easily than others. And perhaps Ted Cheeseman just doesn't have uh, as durable skin as Sam Egerton. But at the same time, Egerton was putting plenty of hands on him, landing lots of good shots. And there was a moment in the 12th round. See, see, the one thing about Cheeseman is that he actually visibly hurt Sam Egerton on a couple of occasions. Early in the fight, one of the early rounds, he buckled Sam Egerton's legs. But Leg Egerton being an experienced vet at this stage, it's incredible to think Egerton's still in his mid-20s. <laughs> Given all the fights he's had and all he's done. Uh, incredible, he's, he's so young still. But he buckled Egerton's legs. Egerton, being a vet, was able to ride out the storm, you know, duck and dive, and then get back into the fray quite quickly. And then later on in the fight, Cheeseman hurt Egerton again. But again, Egerton is very calm under pressure these days and was able to slip and slide. And of course, you know, Ted Cheeseman, I guess, isn't the most amazing finisher in the world. Wasn't able to get him out of there. But at the same time, Ted Cheeseman did say in the post-fight interview that he was mindful about not uh, punching himself out in going for the finish because he's seen that Sam Eggington is actually quite difficult to drop. A lot of people hurt him, but not many people drop him. So, you know, that is why he, he's, he, in fact, he said, Ted Cheeseman, that if there'd been a crowd there cheering, you know, when he'd hurt Eggington, he probably would have gone for it a lot more, but that might have backfired. So I take that into account. But either way, the early rounds or the first half of the fight that was really Cheeseman, who was doing a lot of the good work, hurting Sam Eggington and what have you. Eggington wasn't really boxing. He was more trying to stand and fight early in the, you know, early in the uh, contest. But as the fight progressed, Eggington pulled out this long-range jabbing game. And I was like, where was this early, <laughs> you know, early in the fight? Later on, he pulled out this long-range jabbing game. He had this real nice, fluid style that he was boxing with popping jabs into Cheeseman's face, rocking his head back. I was like, whoa, he should have done this from earlier on. Or maybe he couldn't. Maybe Cheeseman wasn't letting him do that earlier on. Maybe Cheeseman started slowing down in the second half of the fight and that allowed Egerton to switch it up. Who knows? But I was quite impressed with Egerton's boxing in the second half of this fight with the jabs, the combinations and body shots as well. Good stuff from Sam Egerton. In fact, Sam Egerton was doing some good 
body work early in the fight too, or in the first half of the fight. But second half of the fight, yeah, Egerton, he was looking all right in there. In fact, that's the best long-range boxing I think I've ever seen from Sam, uh, Sam Egerton. And in the final round, that is the closest that Egerton got to actually hurting Cheeseman. And I think he did buzz Cheeseman a couple times in the fight. There was one time earlier in the fight where I think he buzzed him, but Cheeseman's legs didn't go. You know, his, his legs never wobbled. He just kind of stood still for a second and just covered up and then backed up a little bit. And I think he, he did kind of hurt Cheeseman or just buzz him momentarily earlier on in the fight. And he buzzed him as well in the 12th round. The 12th round was the best round of the contest. Real good round. Uh, both guys were landing big shots. First of all, Eggington putting on a real grandstand finish. But then Cheeseman came back and rocked him. And yeah, back and forth in the 12th round. If there'd been a crowd for this fight, and it had been in Birmingham or in London, I mean, the crowd would have raised the roof with the noise. <laughs> but as it was, there was just a handful of people all wearing PPE and stuff like that. So unfortunately, the the fight didn't really get the reception that it deserved by way of uh, an audience and attendance because it really was a great domestic scrap. So Ted Cheeseman moves on. In one of the post-fight interviews, it's interesting, he was kind of suggesting that he's already passed British level, so he's not necessarily interested in the Anthony Fowlers and the Fitzgeralds and etc. He acted as though he's not really interested in those fights, and instead he wants to challenge for world titles next. Now this Egginton fight did give him, I think, a top, is it top seven or top five ranking with at least one of the sanctioned bodies so that appears to be what cheeseman wants to do rather than taking on his domestic rivals you know he, he wants to move past those guys and challenge for world honors based upon what i've seen of ted cheeseman so far in his career and he's 16 and 2 with one draw i wouldn't pick him against any of the world champions you know and i think the vast majority of people would agree but look, I mean, fights are not won and lost outside the ring with the opinions of, you know, YouTube pundits and boxing fans. We're not the ones who actually decide the outcome of these fights. The fighters themselves are. So we can give our opinions. It don't mean nothing when the first bell rings. Just ask Buster Douglas, <laughs> you know, ask Andy Ruiz. Ask Oliver McCall. Don't mean nothing when the first bell rings. So Ted Cheeseman, he should feel confident that he can win a world title. He should feel like it doesn't matter what Hatman or any of these other members of the public or YouTube pundits or TV pundits think. He should believe in himself and disregard all of our opinions. You know? Anyway, let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. Cheese manages to triumph over Egg. <laughs> you know, still laughing about how unlikely it is for men with these two names to actually fight each other. Egg versus Cheese. It ain't no omelette, it's a tear-up. I saw some pretty amusing comments in the, uh, the comment section on one of my videos. Somebody was talking... Was it one of my videos or somebody else's video? It might be someone else's video. But they were talking about the cheese got grated, 
what did they say? The egg got scrambled early on or the cheese got scrambled early on. Excuse me, the cheese got grated early on, but then came back and the egg really got scrambled. Something like that. You know, people are having fun with the names. End of the day, whatever you want to call it, it was a good fight. And I think most people agree that Ted Cheeseman was the deserved winner in a close one. Let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. It's happening I'm out. Fabio Wardley moves to 9-0, 8 KOs, with a third round TKO of Simon Valilli on the Egg versus Cheese undercard, Matchroom Fight Camp Episode 1, if I can call it that. Yeah, uh, Wardley looked good. He looked good. You wouldn't have thought that Wardley only had a handful of white-collar fights and no amateur fights at all. And Valili was a very experienced amateur who'd fought at a pretty high level. You wouldn't have thought that based upon this fight. Because Wardley looked far more relaxed than Valili, far more fluid, and he got into his work much more quickly. Valili looked tight. He looked tense. The extra muscle took a lot of speed away from him. You see, this is something that fighters need to bear in mind, particularly fighters who move from cruiserweight to heavyweight. It's not always a good idea to bulk yourself up. Sometimes that's going to work against you because if you're a cruiserweight moving up to heavyweight, the one advantage you should have over most heavyweights is speed. But if you're foregoing your speed advantage by bulking yourself up, then what advantages are you going to have? And we saw that here. Now, Fabio Wardley, he weighed 224 pounds. That's 16 stone in English money. Same as Valili. So both guys were, weighed the, were weighing the same. Difference being, Fabio Wardley is a natural 224 pounds. You could tell that from the way his muscles look, the way his body looks. He's, he's natural at that weight. He doesn't do loads of weightlifting to bulk himself up to 224. That's why he was all, you know, limber and loose. Whereas, and, and uh, fluid, whereas Valili was very tight. Yeah, that's what putting on excess muscle can do to you. It can make you very tight. So that's another reason why, even if a fighter isn't moving up in weight, if he's going to do a lot of weightlifting, you have to bear that in mind. It was, it'll, probably, uh, it'll probably cause you to lose some fluidity. Yeah, we've seen that with Anthony Joshua, for example. A lot more fluid when he dropped the muscle. So me personally, I'm not a big fan of fighters doing a lot of weightlifting and bulking up, you know, 10, 20, 30 pounds with muscle. I'm not a fan of that. Generally speaking, it does more harm than good in my experience. But either way, Fabio Wardley, who, by the way, before the fight, I just assumed he'd had some amateur background, but apparently he had no amateur fights at all. He had white collar fights. And basically, for those of you who are not from the UK, a white collar fight is just an unlicensed fight. Yeah, these are like, uh, I guess you could compare it to tough man contests. In the United States, they have something called top, tough man contests. I guess you could compare it to something like that. But it's just like an unlicensed uh, fight, white collar. Uh, sometimes, unlicensed fights, there's no headgear. And they wear, you know, little fight gloves. 
in but in most white collar, as far as I'm aware these days, they do actually wear headgear and fairly big gloves rather than no headgear and small gloves. So I'm not sure what type of white collar uh, Fabio or unlicensed Fabio Wardley did. But either way, that's what uh, Fabio Wardley had by way of uh, boxing experience before he turned pro. So yeah, considering he doesn't have much experience at all, he looked pretty good. And that really is testament to his natural confidence, his natural ability, and the many, many rounds he has sparred with top professionals such as Dylan White, Alexander Usek, etc., etc. As I've said before the fight, for Dylan White to sign you, you're going to have to be a tough guy. <laughs> yeah, for the most part, particularly if you're a heavyweight. Because if Dylan White signs you and you're a heavyweight, that means you've sparred with Dylan. And Dylan don't tend to go easy on heavyweights when he's sparring them. Okay, <laughs> Dylan tends to go, you know, no holes barred, 100 miles an hour when he's sparring uh, heavyweights. So if you're not tough and you can't take it, then Dylan's probably not going to sign you. So for me, that was a sign that Wardley had something about him, the fact that he's a heavyweight and Dylan decided to sign him. You know, same with Babbage, right? That Alan Babbage guy. The reason Dylan signed him is because he went in there to spar Dylan and he tried to take Dylan's head off. And Dylan was like, okay, I like this guy. <laughs> Let me sign him. You see, that's how it is in, in the Dylan White gym. So Fabio Wardley has come through that baptism of fire. So there's clearly something about him and the way he dealt with Simon Villili again, a guy moving up from cruiserweight, but a guy who was much more experienced than Fabio Wardley. And Wardley looked like the more relaxed guy in there. He looked like the more experienced guy. So that bodes well for him, to be perfectly honest. There, are, there will definitely be sterner tests than Simon Valilli. And some people have talked about maybe putting him in there with Dave Allen in his next fight. And personally, I think that's a good matchup. Fabio Wardley versus Dave Allen. Dave Allen at the moment, you know, he's a very up and down kind of character. Some days he says, I'll take another fight for big money. Other days he says, no, I only, you know, I, I want to get built up properly and have some easier fights so I can not just be an opponent, you know? So it remains to be seen whether Dave Allen will be interested in Fabio Wardley right now. And I know Dave Allen's working with some other fighters as well. So I don't know if he's focused on boxing or not. But if that fight could be made, I think it's a good one. Fabio Wardley versus Dave Allen. It's a, a natural next step, I think. And uh, the finish, by the way, <laughs> I've been talking about Fabio Wardley's amateur background or lack thereof and all this other kind of stuff. But the actual fight itself was Wardley looking smooth, Valili looking a bit tight. In the third round, Valili managed to back Wardley into a corner. Wardley hit him with a real nice left hook. Real nice hook. Uh, kind of drew Valili in and caught him with his hook. Valili's legs wobbled. He went backwards into the ropes. Uh, Wardley followed him and just started taking him apart. And it was nice the way he was switching the attack from head to body, particularly for such an inexperienced fighter. He was switching the attack from head to body and the referee jumped in and stopped it. Good stoppage, got the guy out of there. Valili has never had the greatest punch resistance. We all know that. And on top of that, he is quite a tense character. I mean, you could see that from 
the pre-fight face-off and, and back-and-forth trash talk between the two, Wardley looked more relaxed, you know, in the pre-fight press conference, or call it a press conference. Can I, was, was there press there? I don't know. But, but the pre-fight, uh, let's just call it press conference, Wardley was the more relaxed of the two. Valili was very uptight. So there's two issues there for Valili. The fact that he did all this weight training to bulk himself up, which made him physically tight. And then also mentally he was tight, which also makes him even more tight physically, you know? So th this is an issue. If you're a guy with that type of personality, that type of disposition, you should be looking at things that are going to relax you. Yeah? Different fighters need different approaches and the team around them need to have a different approach for particular fighters. There's, a, there's one fighter I was thinking about recently, actually. Uh, God, who was it? I think it was a fighter from the past. And he always used to get very nervous before fights. And this is why, as a trainer, you need to know your fighter. If you've got a fighter who gets very nervous and gets unsure of himself and demons creep in, that is a fighter who needs to be shielded. That is a fighter who needs almost like the Anthony Yard type treatment. Now, Anthony Yard might not be that the kind of fighter I'm describing, nervous, but the Anthony Yard type treatment in terms of surrounding him with people who are just constantly feeding him good vibes, people who are constantly giving him confidence, people who are making him feel happy, people who are making him feel like he's part of a team. Do you understand? That is what a fighter who's very tense and nervous needs. He needs reassurance. He needs people to make him feel happy. He needs just good vibes in the camp. He needs jokes and, and joy and stuff like that. Yeah? And confidence. Some fighters, that's how you get the best out of them. And obviously you, you put them in a bubble as in you try and keep them away from the public. You keep them away from the media because the media and the public can start to put doubts in their minds for certain fighters, yeah? Those guys, if you can shield them, keep them in this bubble, keep them happy, keep them confident, then get them into the ring, sometimes you'll get a great performance out of them, yeah? Because you've kept their mind state positive and uplifted throughout the whole camp until they get in the ring, right? Whereas other fighters, you may need a different approach. You know, some fighters nervousness is not the problem doubts are not the problem sometimes it can be the opposite some fighters get complacent some fighters get too easily overconfident and with them you actually want to put doubts in their head in fact this is what Manny Stewart used to do a lot is he said he liked to put doubts in his fighter's head like when Oliver McCall was training to fight Lennox Lewis the first time Manny Stewart was training McCall at the time and McCall said to Manny Stewart, you know, what do you think about the fight? And Manny Stewart said, he's better than you in every way. <laughs> you can't beat him or worse to that effect. You know, you, you're going to have to fight a perfect fight to beat him, something like that. So we're going to train you for a perfect fight. So Manny Stewart said he liked to put doubts in his fighters' heads because he said it made them train harder and it made them, you know, more up for it. It made them more sharp and alert. 
and less likely to be complacent. Well, yes, that's going to work for some fighters, and that's what certain fighters need, actually. He said he did the same with Lennox Lewis. So certain fighters need that. But other fighters, you know, particularly those with... Because Lennox Lewis used to fall asleep in a dressing room before his fights. <laughs> that's how relaxed he was. But other fighters get very tense and nervous, and you need a totally different approach with them. Yeah? Totally different approach. Now, with Fabio Wardley, from what I've seen so far, he seems to be the relaxed type. Obviously, he hasn't been under any kind of serious pressure yet by way of, you know, a, a big event with a big crowd and all that kind of business and a tough opponent staring at him from the other side. But given the fact he's gone in there against Valili, somebody with vastly more experience, and he's been so relaxed about it, both before, during, and after the fight, yeah, he's probably one of those kind of guys that you might need to put a bit of doubt in him sometimes. You know, obviously you have to be careful because of his lack of experience, but it's just something you're going to have to watch. When somebody's really naturally confident and relaxed, they can become complacent. So you might need to just jab them a little bit, put a little bit of doubt in there to keep them on their P's and Q's. Yeah. Whereas other fighters, a different approach. Anyway, enough of that. Let me know what you guys think in the comment section below about Fabio Wardley's performance, who he should fight next. And all the things I've talked about in this video. Alright, it's happening about. Join me on Patreon. I upload a minimum of two podcasts every single week, covering a wide variety of controversial topics, as well as live stream QA sessions. Take a look on screen right now at some of the podcasts I've produced so far. For just $3 a month, the equivalent of about £2 a month, you get access to all my new podcasts and my entire back catalogue of past podcasts, including my popular Confessions of a Nightclub Bouncer series. You can listen on your computer or on your smartphone or tablet by downloading the Patreon app from the Google Play Store or the App Store for free. The Patreon app also allows you to download each podcast in MP3. For less than the price of a cup of coffee, you get access to dozens of hours of exclusive content. It's easy to sign up, there's no contract, and you can cancel at any time. So come and join our community of free and critical thinkers by signing up with me here on Patreon today. I'll get straight down to nitty gritty, Joe. Um, a few rumours have been flying around. Why pick on me? I don't know if you've said that. Right, come, <laughs> <on. laughs> come on, come on. Oh, Joe first, uh, Joe about first. Terry, about, about Terry sparring. Uh, tell us the rumor. Tell everybody's story. What you've heard? No, no. Listen, you you know now, Johnny had to go for big fights. There's rumors here. This one got sparred. That one got dropped. And it was in the gymnasium that one of the lads said that I heard it from a good source that Teddy had been knocked down, put over, whatever, knocked out. Steph, is he playing games with you? Joe's like I say, he, he's been right block. He's one of the best in the business, and I think he's he's playing games, but. Listen, he's adamant that he's heard it, and it's exactly the same. Like I, the, the things I've heard, I've I've got one of my fighters sparring Jack Cattrall, and then he's messaging me last week, or it might have even been this week. I've even got the message on my phone that Chantel's saying that uh, Net Jonas can only hold it together for four rounds, then she crumbles. And then I've got Jason Cunningham over in London sparring the Conlans, and there's a young amateur sparring Shannon Courtney, and she's saying that she can't believe Natasha's boxing for world title. She's really slow. Where? the underdog and there's no pressure on us terry's the young champion obviously you see the way sky are building her up with all the top athletes
She's 23. She's, you've listened to Matthew Macklin. She's the second coming. It's all right making weight. You've got to fight at it. Can can Jonas make the weight? Yes. Can she fight it? She's shown she can't so far. She struggled the last time she made weight. So, in all honesty, where do you think these rumours started, Steffi? Joe's head. So you tell me, are you trying to get into Terry's head? No, because that's why I never entertained it when the lad said in the gym, because I thought it was like, oh, you're winding me up type of thing, but it's not come from me head. It's... Whether it was this camp or a camp before, but she's been. Who said it then, Joe? Who said it? Well, listen, the lads in the gym have said it, so I'm not going to come out and say it. So it's. Yeah. Joe, do you want uh, Terry and her team to bite? Because even though you, you've justified these rumours, you've mentioned them, you've said it, you've put it out there, is, it, is, is that the plan to get them to bite, to get them to react, to get them to at least think about what you're saying? No, John, if I'm asked a question, I'll, I'll answer it. How they take it or how they deal with it, it's up to them. All we're concentrating on is August the 7th. If there's rumours about Natasha, like we'd have to deal with it. It's just we, we're concentrating on August the 7th, first bell, and that's all that matters. Both girls have done very well to get to where they are in the careers. Um, a great success story. Steffi's done a good job with Terry. Um, he's doing a better job uh, doing a social media at the moment as well. So he's looking yeah. after Terry's uh, social media accounts. So uh, yeah. you know, he's, oh. he's doing what a good trainer and a good manager does do. I am running a social media at the minute. Joe knows that. I've, I can put my hands up. It's not something that I'm hiding. And uh, Terry's a very special talent. And, and it's, it's one of them fights that I think it's a testing. How good is Terry? I fancy Jonas late knockout. I just think that this... I just think Tasha's power's got to... I don't think they realise how hard Natasha hits. And uh, once she hits, it'll be in la-la land. And I, I fancy Jonas down the straight. Most probably round nine, round ten. She'll she'll have it out. Steffi, you've claimed you'll be 2 nil up against Joe. That's yeah. cheap you're trying to wind him up. <laughs> yeah, that, listen, Joe's great at it, isn't he? You go, you go it back. When's our lady don't set here half asleep when Sky Sports rang me yesterday, you know, and I'm like, well, tell him it's going to be 2 and 0. I beat him with Robbie Barrett and I'll beat him with Terry Harper. He likes his numbers. I had a right wrap down for 